0: Well, may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It is good to be with you on this Lord's Day. It's good to be standing upright and to not be so dizzy as I have been. And I thank you all for uh, your, uh, your prayers and your encouragements over the last few days. I am looking forward to... The next two weeks, as we begin a very brief series, a two-week series on the sacraments, today we will address baptism, and next week we will address the Lord's Supper. So two uh, very basic but important sermons on the important practices and doctrine of the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Well, my purpose today is to grab you by your baptism, so to speak. I know that that sort of sounds strange to some people, but all I mean by it is that I want to remind you that your identity is in Jesus Christ. You are baptized Christians, and you are called to live a baptized life in Christ. This notion of grabbing someone by their baptism is an older notion. It comes from a previous generation. Some of you know who Matthew Henry is. You've probably read his commentaries. They're available online. You've probably looked through those things, but it was Matthew Henry's father, Philip, who would say that whenever his children misbehaved, the first thing he would do is he would grab them by their baptism. He would remind them that they are baptized Christians and that they should speak and act as baptized Christians. Well, I like that notion of grabbing people by their baptism and I've tried to grab my children by their baptism on many occasions to remind them that they are cross-bearers and that they belong to Jesus. And yes, I'm aware that my kids are sitting out among you, so I hope they heard that loud and clear. But for the rest of you, I'm not your father, I'm just simply your brother in Christ. And I don't know if you've been misbehaving. I suspect that some of you have been, because I know that we are prone to misbehave. So as your brother, and as your fellow traveler in the Lord, today I want to grab you by your baptism. And feel free to grab me by my baptism as well as the need arises. Our scripture reading for today will come from Titus chapter 3. If you are able and willing, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Titus 3, 4 through 6 Hear the word of God. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God add His blessing to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of His Word. And all the church says, Amen. You may be seated. What is baptism? Baptism is one of the deep mysteries of the Christian faith. But it is a deep mystery that all Christians have in common. The scriptures teach us that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Our common, ancient, future faith is what brings us together around Christ. On the surface, it might be hard to see that baptism is, in fact, a common denominator among Christians especially since so many Christians differ on the meaning and the mode of baptism. So, for example, some Christians teach that we must believe because we were baptized, and others teach that we must be baptized because we believe, and then some Christians baptize infants and children, and then others only baptize adolescents and adults, Some baptize with lots of water, and then others baptize with a little water. So we have all of this sort of surface-level diversity. And if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to divide from one another over those surface issues. But I want to caution you to not allow those things to disturb the deeper unity that we share with one another as baptized Christians. And when I say one another, I'm not just referring to the few of us in this room. I'm referring to the many of us scattered throughout the world. But more importantly, it should not disrupt or disturb our common identity in the Lord Jesus Christ the way we practice baptism, what we believe about baptism, the amount of water we use or whatever, should not be the thing that identifies us. What should identify us is that baptism puts us into Christ. And that's what's fundamental. So on the surface, there are many differences, but one thing all Orthodox Christians agree on is that baptism is a status changer baptism does something or something happens in baptism it is a rite of initiation that has something to do with Christ His church and the cross so I ask the question what is baptism and I'm stalling here because I haven't yet given you the answer all Christians know what it is, right? we know what it is And yet we have a hard time defining what it is. So again, baptism is a deep mystery. The word sacrament actually comes out of a a word that means mystery. It's a deep mystery. It seems that the harder we try to define it, the muddier the water gets. But we keep working at it. There have been times in my life when I felt that baptism is so mystical that it cannot be fully explained or defined, and since it's so mystical and cannot be fully explained or defined, I've been tempted to say that it's much easier to experience it than it is to explain it, and that we simply know what it is when we see it. Well, that would be a (laughs) cop-out. We're going to look at a few scriptures in just a moment, but I want you to hear the way the Westminster Confession of Faith puts the answer to the question, what is baptism? It says, Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein Christ has ordained the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit to be a sign and seal of engrafting into... Himself, of remission of sins by his blood, and regeneration by his spirit, of adoption and resurrection unto everlasting life, and the means whereby persons baptized are solemnly admitted into the visible church and enter into an open and professed engagement to be holy and only the Lord's did you know all of that? (laughs) I didn't know all of that until recently and I'm still trying to get my mind around it all. Let me make it more simple for you. That's a great definition, by the way, and I agree with it. But for our purposes in this moment, let me make it a little bit more simple. The Scripture says that baptism is like this, okay? And notice I said it's like this. It is, I'm using a metaphor. I'm going to use three metaphors, in fact. Baptism is like a birth. Baptism is like a bath. And baptism is like a betrothal, all of which are performed by God alone. Titus three four to five says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians five twenty five to twenty seven. many things could be said about these two texts, but I'm simply focused on three things that say baptism is like a birth, it is like a bath, it is like a betrothal. And these are things that are performed by God and not by us. Now with all that in mind, I want to compare and contrast two approaches to baptism. In fact, they are the only two approaches to baptism anywhere and everywhere you go. It all comes down to this. There is a self-centered, man-centered approach to baptism and there is a God-centered approach to baptism. All views of baptism break down and fall into one of those two categories. The first thing I want to do is tackle self-centered baptism. Seems to be the most common in our neck of the woods. So let's deal with this one first. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but... I think you would agree that the vast majority of people inside and outside the Christian church tend to think of baptism as some kind of narcissistic, self-centered, man-centered event that reveals something about me, myself, and I rather than an event that centers on God and reveals something about the triune God in Christ. So in contemporary faith, we see that baptism has shifted away from God's actions to man's action. But in ancient future faith, baptism shifts back from human action to divine action. In his book, Ancient Future Faith, Robert Weber observes that For the most part, we evangelicals have regarded baptism as an important symbol, yet our emphasis has been on baptism as an act done by the convert. He goes on to say, We have failed to understand the divine symbolism of baptism. A consequence of our overemphasis on the human side of baptism has resulted in the replacement of baptism by the conversion experience. Now that probably rings a bell with many of you or resonates with many of us. To put it another way, The divine symbolism of baptism has been replaced by personal sentimentalism. And so many people are baptized for the same reason they sit on Santa's lap or collect Easter eggs. It is a traditional Kodak moment, a photo op that can be posted on social media. Look what I did. Look what I decided to do. Look at me. Instead of, look at Christ and the grace and mercy of God. So sadly for many people, baptism has become more self-centered than Christ-centered. For them, baptism is for me and about me and to me, not from God and through God and to God. Now let me illustrate this baptismal self-centeredness with a story. And I mention the story at this point to relieve the tension in the room that many of you are feeling. Flannery O'Connor captures the tragedy of self-centered baptism in her Christ-haunted story, The River. I'll summarize it for you. Devout Mrs. Conan takes a young boy named Harry to a healing at a river. When a preacher named Bevel invites sinners into the kingdom of Christ, Mrs. Conan leads Harry to the water's edge, hands him over to the preacher. The preacher says to Harry, If I baptize you, you'll be able to go to the kingdom of Christ. You'll be washed in the river of suffering, son, and you'll go by the deep river of life. Do you want that? Harry says yes. But he thinks to himself, I won't go back to that apartment then. I'll go under the river. And the preacher says, You won't be the same again. You'll count. And without warning, he plunges Harry into the muddy water and jerks him up and says, You count now. You didn't even count before. The little boy was too shocked to cry. He spit out muddy water and rubbed his wet sleeve into his eyes and over his face. Dissatisfied with the results of his baptism, Harry decides to take matters into his own hands. And so the next morning, he sneaks out of his parents' apartment, finds a path to the river, and once there, he enters the muddy water and rebaptizes himself in a way that proves to be painful and fatal. Now, that's just a fictional example of the way baptism is treated as a self-centered event that reveals more about the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I than anything else. But in case you think things like that don't happen, let me show you that truth is, in fact, stranger than fiction. Like you, I know many Christians who have been baptized and rebaptized, and even re rebaptized just because they wanted to start over. They wanted to make sure they got it right. They wanted to prove that they really mean it this time. And so you know that I'm not picking on any of you. I would say that was my experience. That was my experience. The first time I was baptized, I did it because of something a kid at a church told me we were walking out of a Sunday school class and in the time it took to get from Sunday school to the auditorium, he had convinced me that I should get baptized and here's how it went. He says to me, I'm getting baptized today. I said, really? He said, yeah. Have you ever been baptized? And I said, no. He said, oh, you got to get baptized because if you don't get baptized, you'll go to hell. (laughs) He said, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And I said, no. And he goes, then you got to get baptized. I said, I don't even know how to get baptized. He said, just do what I do. At the end of the sermon, we're going to sing a song, The Invitation. You'll see me go down to the front to the preacher. You come down and just do what I do. Okay. I don't think I told my parents about it. But away we went. Invitation song came. I made a beeline down. Notice my brother was right behind me. I guess he overheard that conversation and didn't want to go to hell either. (laughs) The crazy thing about it all is it was all planned for him. His grandfather was standing there. The preacher was there. Everybody was so happy. He was making the best decision of his life. And then there we are. Just nodding and doing what he did. Yes, we confess whatever you confess. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, we want to do this. And none of that set well with me. I struggled with that for years, thinking back on what was that craziness about. And in that tradition, you were supposed to be anxious about your baptism and uncertain about it because who are you, by the way, to get it right? Did you understand what you were doing? Were you really committed? You know, all of those things. So it was an anxious time. I think I was only 12 or 13 when that happened. And I knew something was weird about it when I told my junior high teacher who attended that church, guess what, I got baptized this week. And she's like, really? I was like, oh, that's not the response I expected. (laughs) Well, the second time I was baptized, I did it because... I was older then, by six years, and I was reading the scriptures, and I felt convicted about sin in my life, and I knew I needed to make real changes, and I also knew that if you make real changes, and if you've been that messed up for that long, you got to start over, and since I already had so many doubts about my first baptism, I thought, It's best to start with a clean slate. Let's remove all doubt and get it right one time for all time. And so I called a friend and a fellow student and asked him to baptize me. It was winter. We were locked out of the church, so he called the custodian who let us in. We didn't tell anybody what was going on. We snuck up to the baptistry. I was baptized with one witness and one person performing the baptism. And then we walked home in the freezing cold with icicles even forming in my hair. But I actually felt better knowing that I had done the right thing for the right reason for the last time in my life. And I've resisted other Temptations for rebaptism ever since. Now, the problem is this I can laugh about it now. It doesn't concern me at all uh, that those things happened, except I don't want them to happen again to other people. Um, but the problem is this I hadn't really done the right thing, you see? And I hadn't really made good decisions. I was acting independently apart from the ministry of the gospel, apart from God's appointed means, apart from ministers of the gospel. We didn't have any of that involved. And I could go on to tell you other stories about secret baptisms and, and private baptisms and all kinds of rebaptisms and crazy things that happened because we were sort of wheels off when that, with all, all those things. Now, I want to say this. We meant well. We really did mean well. And I think the people around, around us meant well. But fundamentally, by making baptism about me, myself, and I, we were all missing the point of baptism altogether. It is not a self-centered event that reveals something about me, myself, and I. It doesn't show how committed I am or how wise I am or how ready I am to get saved or how smart I was to make the most important decision of my life. I've learned since then that really the only thing baptism reveals about you and me is that we are sinful people in need of God's saving grace, period. It doesn't show how committed you are, but it shows how committed God is. So baptism reveals so much more about the triune God than it reveals about ourselves. And that's what I want us to focus on for the remainder of this message today. Now, I understand that one of the hardest things for people who are Christians in the Bible belt especially to do, one of the hardest things for us to do is to admit that we were wrong, to admit that maybe we didn't understand, to admit that we need to change. And specifically on this topic of baptism, I'm also aware that it is so incredibly difficult for us to admit that our view, our man-centered view of it was wrong, because when we change our minds about that, we are not only bucking uh, our own personal convictions, but then we're having to go against family tradition and church tradition and Cultural tradition. We're having to change all kinds of things. And I understand how difficult that can be as someone who has gone through that process. It takes some of us longer than others to come around. So let's be patient with one another. But I'm still going to just give you fair warning. I'm going to keep nudging you on this. I'm going to keep trying to nudge you towards a God-centered view of baptism. And I just want you to be ready for it, okay? Not so you can defend yourself, but I just want to be fair to let you know it's going to come up every once in a while, like today. Here's what I want you to learn about baptism today, God-centered baptism. Baptism is a God-centered event that reveals something true and beautiful and good about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does it reveal? It reveals that God wants me and you to be His children. And so He writes His name on us. In baptism, we give up our names to Christ and we receive the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know all of you like movies. One movie I really like is Toy Story 2. You remember how Woody gets taken captive by Al the Chicken Man and he's carried away from his family and friends and he ends up in a faraway place where he happens to be treated like royalty. He's repaired and he's repainted and he's made great promises and he's going to become this collector's item and sitting on a shelf, he's going to spend his life in a museum behind a glass case where people will admire and praise him and and look at how unique he is. His friends are concerned about him and so they risk everything to go and find him. They want to rescue him and bring him home. And when they finally meet up with him, Buzz Lightyear preaches to Woody the same gospel that Woody had preached to him in the first movie. Life is only worth living if you're loved by a kid. But Woody resists. At this stage of his life, he thinks he would rather be looked at than loved, he'd rather be admired. And appreciated, so reluctantly his friends leave him there, and as they go away and leave him in isolation, the the message that he heard from Buzz begins to echo in his heart and mind, and he begins to feel conflicted. And he's looking around, considering his situation, and finally he looks down at his boot, and he scratches off the paint from the bottom of his boot, and he sees the truth. A truth that he's forgotten. And what is that truth? The truth is that Andy's name has been written in permanent marker on his boot. What does that have to do with you and baptism? If you have been baptized, you need to know that God has written His name on your life written your names on his heart and on his hands and I know that sometimes you can't see that because it gets buried and covered and disguised in the course of your life but you need to know that it's still written there even if you can't see it and sometimes what it takes is a friend to come and remind you of the gospel Sometimes what it takes is for a friend to come and remind you that you are loved. Sometimes what it takes is for you to look down and scrape away the filth and grime from your life. That's called repentance. And when you do that, you see that the name of the triune God has been written not on the bottom of your boot, but in the depths of your heart. All of you who were baptized from youngest to oldest, bear the name of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You wear the sign of the cross. You bear the mark of the covenant. As Paul wrote, you are not your own. You were redeemed with the blood of Christ. You were washed with water through the word of the gospel. Now, as I said, one of the hardest things for us to do in the Bible Belt is to change our minds, but especially about baptism. It's hard to see that baptism is a God-centered and not a self-centered event, but we must begin to see that God is the one who both starts and finishes the work of grace in His people, and that means in you. God has always revealed to Himself through water in one way or another. How do we know that? Because the story of the Bible is covered in watermarks. And if you read carefully and if you look carefully, you'll see those watermarks. And let me give you several as I bring you through a quick overview of the Scriptures. God saved Noah and his household In a wooden ark through the flood waters. The ark points to the cross of Christ. The flood points to baptism, and the dove that leaves the ark points to the Holy Spirit. And in that story, we learn that baptism is a line of demarcation between old creation and new creation. The Israelites were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the Red Sea. Their enemies were destroyed, but they were delivered by God. Baptism is the line of demarcation between slavery and freedom. Joshua led Israel across the Jordan at flood stage. The priests carried the Ark of the Covenant into the water, and the river stopped flowing, and the waters rolled back all the way to a town called Adam to show us that just as in Christ our sins are rolled back, all the way to Adam. Baptism is the line of demarcation between a wasteland and a promised land. Elisha was changed from a servant into a prophet when he crossed the Jordan with his master. And it was that water right that changed his status. He went from being a servant to being a prophet, and he was given a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Baptism is a line of demarcation between a natural man and a spiritual man. Naaman the leper was a Gentile who was sent to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. And he was cleansed by the power of God, not by the muddy water of the Jordan. Baptism is a line of demarcation between an old dirty life and a new clean life. Jonah the prophet was cast into the depths of the sea, swallowed by a huge, huge fish, vomited on dry ground three days later, and then sent on mission to Nineveh. Baptism is a line of demarcation between death and life, between rebellion and redemption. Saul the Pharisee was confronted by Jesus, baptized by Ananias, and sent on a mission as light to the Gentiles. Saul the Pharisee became Paul the Christian by means of baptism. And you recall that in that story, Ananias came to him and said, Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins by calling on the name of the Lord. So baptism is a line of demarcation between legalistic zeal and evangelical faith. Now what do all these stories have in common? In all these stories, God is the primary actor. God is the one who reveals His power and glory, His grace and truth, His work and love to His people and to the world. And He did it all through the simple water rite of baptism. What does this have to do with you? Well, your story is very much like the story of the people we've looked at in the Old Testament and New. Jesus Christ has manifested Himself to you as Lord and Savior in the water rites of your baptism. And He has left a watermark of His image on your life. So baptism is a watermark. It is a translucent design that is impressed upon your body and soul. It can't always be seen, but it does become visible when we are held up to the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it is especially visible when viewed against the dark backdrop of this world. This watermark both conceals and reveals a deep secret. And the secret is this that our true identity is found in Jesus Christ alone. God has written His name on us. He has written our names on Himself. To paraphrase Robert Weber, when we enter into the waters of baptism, we enter into a divine communion with the Passion, the Crucifixion, and the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are brought into a pattern of life that is an actual identification with Jesus. Baptism is therefore not only an identification with Christ, but it is a calling to live a baptized life. So I started out by saying that I wanted to grab you by your baptism, but it turns out that Christ has grabbed us all by our baptisms through His Word and by His Spirit, He's reminding us that we are baptized Christians called to live the baptized life. That means that we are crucified with Christ, circumcised with Christ, clothed in Christ, cleansed by Christ, created in Christ, consecrated to Christ. You see that it's all about Jesus. We are called to live the baptized life in Christ, and that means we must be shaped by the cross, set apart for God, sanctified by the Word, submitted to the Lord Jesus, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. By now it should be clear that baptism is radically Christ-centered, and therefore the community, the baptized community known as the church, ought to be radically Christ-centered as well. So I exhort you in love to live and move and exist as baptized Christians in such a way that Christ may be revealed in you for His glory and for the good of other people in your daily life, in your speech, your action, and in your relations. Grabbing you by your baptism, I want to say, you are a baptized Christian. Now go, speak and act like one.